If you got a Bible this morning, I would ask you to open it to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are uh, week 6 in a series called Leaving a Legacy. And uh, we've been talking about biblical parenthood. And this, this morning, man, if, if you hear that and think, man, I, I came to the wrong service, that's not my uh, life circumstance just, le- just yet. Well, look, hang on, because I think God has some things for all of us this morning. We've, we've been talking about, uh, man, the nation of Israel as they're preparing to enter into God's promised land for them, the land of Canaan. We're looking at a, a, a group of people who Moses is teaching specifically how to make sure that their generation and the next generations to come are successful in their relationship with God. And, and remember, we, we've mentioned, if you haven't been here, we've mentioned that the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 are actually the children of a failed generation who, who didn't walk with God the way they were supposed to, who didn't please God the way they were supposed to, and they never got to see what God intended for them. They never got to see the promised land, and yet God is bigger than your circumstances, and, and maybe this morning you would say, man, I'm a first-generation Christian, or I'm a first-generation uh, Bible-believing uh, Christian that's trying to lead my life the way God intends. Listen, there's hope for you. Your, your, your walk with God, your legacy isn't dependent on what you came from. Your legacy is dependent on what you do with what you have. And so Moses is preparing Israel to follow a new leader named Joshua into the land of Canaan. They're going to have a new diet in Canaan. Instead of eating manna, they're going to eat the fruit of the land. They have new enemies to face, and they have a new lifestyle to accomplish because instead of sojourning in the wilderness, they're going to settle in this promised land. And in the midst of all of this instruction that Moses gives to the nation of Israel, he charges those that are parents with the responsibility to make sure that the next generations of their children, the second, third, and fourth generations, he charges the parents that they know God, that those generations know God, and know how to walk with God. He wants them to leave a legacy. And listen, uh, we know and, and we can learn from this example that, that, listen, just because Israel failed in the wilderness, uh, we don't have to. And we don't have to, and, and we can be a difference maker in our generations. We can be people that love God, that fear God, that walk with God, and enter into an inheritance that God has promised for us. And so this morning, there's hope for us. Obviously, the nation of Israel one day is going to be led by Christ into the millennial kingdom, and that's kind of the doctrinal application of Deuteronomy, getting, getting the nation of Israel ready, going through a time of tribulation and suffering, and in the same way, Christ is ultimately going to lead that nation in as a part of his eternal kingdom. But listen, here's the thesis for this morning and why this passage is important for us as we've studied it each week. And this morning, this is the point of our message today. The sermon is entitled, Parents are the Perfect Witness. And you say, the perfect witness of what? Well, they're the per- perfect witness of who God is and what God has done in the lives of our children. And so our thesis for this morning is this, biblical parents are perfectly positioned and should be scripturally proficient witnesses to impact our children for Christ's sake. And so this morning, we're going to read Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 to 25. We're going to close out the chapter today, and we'll close out this series today. But let me remind you and encourage you this morning that you have a unique position that God has given you as a parent, God's given you as a grandparent, or even as a student a young person, God's put you in a home, prayerfully, where you can see someone that has a real relationship with Christ. And God's put that model in your life for a reason. God's called us to be that model. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 25. We'll read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll work through the passage. Look at verse 20. So Moses speaks to Israel, and he says, When thy son asketh thee in time to come saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers." And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. 
And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Let's pray together and ask God to teach us. Father, we need you this morning. Uh, God, we, we've already sang many of the, the truths that we're going to study today. God, it's, it's awesome how your Holy Spirit orchestrates that. And I pray, God, for every one of us, Lord, especially the parents in the room, God, we understand the position that we have to have a, a, a tremendous impact in the lives of our children for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray for our children that, that their parents' faith encourages them and motivates them to have their own faith, that they don't ride the coattails of their parents, that, Lord, they understand who you are and begin to have a legitimate walk with you through faith. And so, Lord, bless us as we study. God, help us, equip us through your word, and God, even correct us where we need correction. We trust you for that, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes exposing this chapter and we want to make application for us today devotionally because, because God is preparing us as parents, as leaders in our home, to make sure that, that his legacy continues on in the lives of our children. So point number one in your notes is this. Biblical parents, and, and, and the wording is very specific, biblical parents are preparing now for questions that are going to come later in our children's lives. And I want you to go back to verse 20, because as Moses instructs these parents in the wilderness that are about to go into Canaan, he says in verse 20, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, what mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son. And it is interesting to me that the word of God seems to indicate that there will be a time when your children are going to ask you about your relationship with God. As a matter of fact, that's biblical, that's scriptural. There's a time coming when questions are going to come. They're going to ask questions like, man, what is, it, what is the big deal about these testimonies and statutes and judgments? What do these things even mean? Who is this God that you serve? And, and maybe your children already do that, but if not, you need to be preparing now for the day that that happens. You need to be actually active in that praying that, man, your children come to know the God who you know and love and serve. And it's interesting when you study the Bible, because this isn't the first time that Moses tells Israel, hey, your children are going to ask about your faith in me. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 13, again, Moses is giving instruction to parents and he's saying right after their exodus from Egypt, hey, listen, there's some things that are going to happen. There's some things that you need to do. And by the way, your kids are going to ask you, why are you doing this? Why are we getting up on Sunday morning and going to church? Why are we giving money in an offering? Why are we doing things like discipleship? Why are we praying? Why are we doing ministry? Why are we, why are we praying for people to get saved? What does that even matter? Well, those are kid questions. Those are legitimate questions, and we ought to be able to biblically answer, right, as parents. And so as we get to Exodus 13, again, Moses is giving instruction to parents, but the timing is a little different because this is right after, this is right after their deliverance from Egypt. As a matter of fact, you know that Israel was in bondage to Egypt, and God used the blood of a lamb, the Passover lamb, to redeem Israel from Egypt. God said, I'm going to come through the land at night. I'm going to execute judgment. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every home. But if you'll take a lamb and you'll make it your lamb and you'll sacrifice that lamb and you put the, the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house, when I come through the land and I see the blood, my judgment will pass over. And that's a great type in a picture in the Old Testament of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a great picture of God's deliverance for a nation of people through the blood of a lamb. And so let's look at it. Exodus 13, verse 1. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall be no leavened bread eaten. 
This day came ye out in the month of Abib. And again, chapter 12 is, is where the Passover was, was initiated and exercised. Chapter 13 is the instruction to keep the feast of the Passover in memorial of their deliverance. Look at verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what is this? That thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that opens the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children will I redeem. You see, God says, when you celebrate this Passover, when you keep this memorial, when you dedicate and redeem the firstborn in your home, it's going to create questions. And God says when it creates the question, you need to be able to give an accurate answer of what God did and why he did it. And so this question is going to come about the firstborn being redeemed, and your children are going to ask, Man, why, did, why, did, why are you keeping this feast of the Passover? And a parent's responsibility was to answer because of God's judgment, but also because of God's deliverance. Because the firstborn, the firstborn is always rejected by God, and it has to be redeemed. And, and God paints a picture in the book of Exodus that, that we have a problem with the firstborn, and I don't mean the firstborn in your family, I mean the firstborn as in us. God, God says that there's something wrong with our birth, right? We, we, have, we have a problem. Our first birth birthed us into sin, into a sin nature. That's why in John chapter 3 and verse 3 that Jesus, having a conversation with Nicodemus, said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, a man, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And so there is something wrong with every one of us. Our first birth put us in, in a birth of sin. And we are sinners by nature, and we are sinner, sinners by practice. And God says, listen, there's something wrong with that first birth. I'm going to come through the land, and listen, if all you have is the first birth, well, it, it, it deserves judgment. But there's a way of deliverance, and the way of deliverance is through the blood of a lamb. But not just an animal, not a four-legged beast that you can go buy and sacrifice. No, it points to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And so God says to parents, be ready to answer to your son the reason that God did this. Give an answer concerning the firstborn. And God tells us that in Exodus 13. In Deuteronomy, God says you need to give an answer concerning God's words. And, and, and so it is interesting to me that God expects parents to be able to answer for their own personal relationship with God Almighty. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can, can you answer specifically to your children a time in your life where you knew you were a sinner separated from God? That your sin deserved God's judgment, God's righteous judgment? That because of your sin, you realized that there was nothing you could do to save yourself. And so what you did was you put your faith and trust in the Lamb of God that died for your sin and for mine. If your kid asks you, man, how do I have eternal life? How do I process what it is that Christ really did for me? Could you answer that biblically? And then after, after your salvation testimony, could you answer why you do what you do? from the Word of God. Could you answer your, your kid this morning? Hey, why are we going to church, man? Let's go eat. Let's go to the restaurant. Let's get some donuts. Let's go do, do anything but, but this. Well, no, the reason we do what we do is because God's Word teaches us to do that, and here's the references, right? You see, God, God expects parents to answer now or prepare now for questions that are going to come later. And so these testimonies, these statutes, and these judgments that, that Moses is talking about are the things that God has given Israel. Each one of those represents, really, God's Word in a different aspect. And I put it in your notes like this. God's testimonies are verbal or written affirmation for establishing something as a fact. It's an open attestation or a profession of truth 
Because God has given us His Word, right? God's Word is His testimonies. Okay, Psalm 93 and verse 5. It's not on, not on your notes, but it is on the screen, I think. The Bible says, Thy testimonies are very sure. You guys asleep already? Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And so listen, God's testimony, God's affirmation of what He says is very sure. It's the most sure thing that you can trust in. Psalm 119 and verse 24 says, Thy testimonies also are my delights. Could you say that? Could you say that this week, that God's word has been your delights? Well, the follow-up question is, how much time have you spent in it? Because if you haven't been in the word of God this week, it's not your delight. And when your kid asks about your faith in Christ, you're not going to have anything to answer. Your answer will be, well, we just go to church because that's what we do. Well, that's not a biblical answer. No, the Word of God is my, is my delight. It's my counselors. God gave you 66 of them. There's your counseling ministry right there. The Word of God is your counseling ministry. God's given us His testimonies. Number two, He's given us His statutes. And statutes come from a supreme authority or power, not just a common, ordinary law. And as you read the Bible, man... The word statutes is all the way through Scripture. It's found 29 times in the book of Deuteronomy, 28 times in the Psalms. And God's statutes are because God is God alone. He is king above all. Psalm 19 and verse 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So God's word is my delight. His statutes rejoice my heart. Or they should. Psalm 119 and verse 54, Thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Uh, You know, I prayed and said, God, we've already sang many of the things that we're going to talk about today. Well, because songs ought to be rooted in Scripture. It doesn't matter the style. It doesn't matter the, the instrumentation. What matters is, are they representative of God's statutes? And if they are, we should sing them. And if they aren't, we won't. You guys okay with that? It doesn't matter. (laughs) We're going to do it anyways. (laughs) We're going to not sing them if they're not biblical. And we are going to sing them if they are biblical. doesn't matter. Seven times in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, God, would you teach me your statutes? You see, the psalmist had a desire to know God's word. God's supreme authority, his power. Not just the common, ordinary law. This, This psalmist wanted to know God's words. Psalm 119 and verse 12, Blessed are thou, Lord, teach me thy statutes. Let me ask us in the room, man, do we have that attitude toward God's word? Are we willing to learn God's word? Do we delight and desire it so much that we're willing to be taught? Psalm 119 and verse 26, I have declared my ways and thou hearest me, teach me thy statutes. 119.33, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes and I shall keep it unto the end. Because God wants obedience. Psalm 119 and verse 64, The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. Verse 68, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Verse 124, Deal with thy servant according to thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. Verse 135, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. And there's a heart desire in the life of the psalmist. This is, God, I want to know you. And in order to know you, I have to know your word. And God, I'm willing to, to, to be teachable. I'm willing to be teachable so that I can know your word, so that ultimately I can know you. And parents, we, we need to realize that if we're not teachable, our, our kids sure aren't going to be. You don't do it for your kid's sake. You do it for the Lord's sake. But let me just tell you, man, children mimic what they see and what they hear. And man, man, listen, we ought to have a desire to know God's testimonies. They ought to be our delight. We ought to have a desire to know God's statutes. Number three, we ought to have a desire to understand God's judgments. And judgments are really a determination of God's mind. As in, he has judged this situation according to his word, but it's also judgment is also punishment inflicted by God. And 
And again, man, uh, you know, we don't like to talk about that, but, but God is holy and he is just and he exercises judgment. Psalm 119 and verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 119 and verse 164 says, Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Have you praised God for his judgment? You say, man, I would never praise God for his judgment. What are you talking about? Well, the psalmist did. And the reason he could praise God for his judgment is because it's true and because it's righteous. Because not, God is not us and we're not God, right? And so, and so here's the point that I'm trying to get to. Parents, you are perfectly positioned to be God's instrument to answer children's questions about God and about the Word of God. God has put you perfectly positioned in the home to impact your children. But here's the problem in most homes, not you, but other people, of course. Man, in most homes, there's no mention of God's word in the home outside of Sunday morning church. It doesn't mean that we don't talk about things in our homes. It's just not God and his word. And so there's nothing to have questions about. And secondly... The problem many times is that we don't have a father or a mature parent in the house to actually answer questions biblically. You see, the home ought to be the place where God's word is, is explained, clarified, made understandable. Application can be made from a, from a parent back to a child. This is why we do what we do based on the authority of God's word. You guys okay this morning? Can I just tell you that our home ought to be the place that our wives ask us questions and can get answers from their husbands? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right? But listen, if, if the home is the place that God intends for that to happen, and we're perfectly positioned to accomplish that, then why doesn't it happen? The question is, are we scripturally proficient to see that accomplished? And and I dare say that, that scriptural proficiency comes with maturity. And, and so Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a little bit of an illustration. God tells us that there ought to be a time when we grow and mature to be teachers of God's word. And, and as parents, that's what we are. We're teachers of God's word. But God says in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you, what's the word? Again which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of what? Milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, you see the, the challenge for us is that God has blessed us with children, and yet, if we're not careful, we will be spiritual children trying to raise children. We won't be able to answer. We won't be able to answer, man, what meaneth these testimonies and statutes and judgments? What meaneth this blood atonement for sin? Well, let's go ask the pastor. And you can ask the pastor. But man, there ought to be a time where you, you kind of grow up, right? You kind of can open the Bible. You, you, can, you can actually share from the Word of God to the most important people in your life, that the people God has entrusted you with, your wife, your children. You need to be scripturally proficient. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man, including your children that asketh you a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. And so listen, you won't be spiritually ready or scripturally ready if you don't sanctify God in your heart. We need to be ready to give an answer. When a child asks, why are we doing this? What does this mean? What does this testimony mean? Why are we doing what? Why is the church doing what it's doing? Well, because we have a Bible. And because we have a biblical authority, it doesn't matter what opinion is, it doesn't matter what your opinion is or my opinion or the culture's opinion, we have God's words that are sure. 
They're true. His judgments are right. And so the way we answer our children's questions is, let's go back to the Word of God. Let me show you why I believe what I believe. Let me show you why we do what I do. Parents, as much of an admonition and and encouragement, I want to warn us, we are the ones that need to give an answer to our children. Men, you ought to be able to give an answer to your wife. You'll be able to open your Bible and answer questions from the Word of God with proficiency. Number two, biblical parents have a testimony to share with their children. You see, biblical parents not only are ready to answer questions, but number two, they have a testimony ready to share with their children. Look at verse 21. It says, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And listen, when God deals with Israel in the Old Testament, that entire nation can be viewed as a type or a picture of a believer in Christ individually. Hosea 11 and verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called out my son out of Egypt. So just know when you study Israel as a nation in the Old Testament, collectively they do represent an individual. God gives us lots of types and illustrations. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. The testimony of the parent is, At one point, we were bondmen in Egypt, and God brought us out with a mighty hand. You see, there was a time when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. As a matter of fact, Genesis 15 and verse 13 says that they were in bondage for 400 years. And after 400 years, there was a day in which the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt. It was a specific day in a specific month at a specific time because salvation happens on a specific day and in a specific month and at a specific time. You see, you haven't always been saved. No matter what Christian culture has taught you, you haven't always been saved. You haven't always been a Christian. You haven't always believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior because your testimony ought to have three parts. Number one, you ought to have a, a, a part of your story as a parent is your life before Christ. You ought to be able to say, you know what, man, I was in bondage to sin. I was a bondman in Egypt. It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of the world. It's, Pharaoh is a picture of the devil. He's a picture of Satan. And listen, Israel as a nation were in bondage for 400 years. Exodus 13 and verse 3 calls it the house of bondage. And listen, you as a parent ought to have a testimony that you knew you were in sin. You're a sinner. We don't like saying that, do we? We we like to say things like, well, I've always been a Christian. Uh, We like to say things like, well, I've always believed. No, you haven't. At some point, you were in bondage up until the day that you understood what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. Christ died for our sins. So only sinners need to apply. Because if you're, not, if you're not a sinner, Christ's death has no effect on you. It means nothing to you. Are you, you guys okay today? Listen, man. So, so as a parent, I ought to have a testimony that I realized I was in bondage to sin. That, man, I was a sinner separated from God, no matter how moral, how righteous in my own, my, on my own eyes, no, how, no matter how good of a neighbor I was, man, I was in bondage to sin. And then number two, there ought to be a how, when, and where I got saved. There was a, a day of deliverance because God says the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Deuteronomy 6 tells us, man, the testimony of a parent is, man, we were, we were bondmen in Egypt, but God brought us out with a mighty hand. For Israel, he did that through the blood of the Passover lamb. And that blood was applied to every house. But can I tell you, the New Testament application is this. The blood of Christ has to be applied to each person by faith. Your household isn't saved because your your father is saved. 
You are saved because you have put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. You realize your sin and separation from God. You realize that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, that's the gospel. And there was a day when you understood your sin, and there was a day that you understood the finished work of Christ that was available to you. And there was a day that you put your faith and trust in Christ alone. It's a day. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Because just like your physical birth, man, you're born on a day. You're not born through evolution. You're not born through a process. You're born on a day. And for a believer in Christ, that moment of faith happened at a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific way. You put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Christ shed blood. Romans 3 and verse 25, it says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through God through the forbearance of God. Romans 5, 9, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see, the blood atonement of Christ is the point of the gospel. It is the only thing that can cleanse us from our sin. It is the only thing that God accepts as payment to reconcile us back to God. Our sin makes us guilty it makes us worthy of death. It makes us on the receiving end of God's judgment. But man, faith in the blood of Christ is what saves us. Saves us from what? From the penalty of sin. You got saved from something. Christ, Christ died on the cross to save you and to save me from our sin. Not just so you could pray a prayer and, and let, let Jesus come into your heart. If Jesus came into your heart and you didn't understand anything about sin, you need, you need to understand the gospel. You see, I think there are a lot of people, man, that grow up in a Christian culture, that grow up with Christian language, that, that have always been a Christian, that, that have always known some things, and they've never settled the issue of their sin before a holy God. And the truth is, they're living life on borrowed time because they've never opened their mouth and confessed, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That happens in a day. And today's the day. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, you need to, you need to consider the offer on the table. The third part of your testimony is how your life is different now. And Israel now, because they... They had a relationship with God. Man, they had God's words. They had God tes God's testimonies. They had God's statutes. They had God's judgments. You see, children in the home ought to see parents who don't have perfect lives, but they have lives that have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're different because of that. Man, I thought that was a good amen spot, but that's okay. Oh, me, oh, me is just fine, too. Even silence I'll take. Man, do you have that kind of testimony? Do your children know your testimony? Now, we talk about sharing the gospel with strangers. You ought to come on Friday and learn how to share your testimony. If you don't have one, you need to get one today. Man, the most important people that God puts in our life are the children in our home. They ought to know mom and dad were sinners saved by God's grace through faith. Amen? Those are, the, those are the very first people that ought to be evangelized in the context of our family. Man, listen, I hope you guys are awake today. We ought to have a testimony that we can share of deliverance. Number three, biblical parents ought to be able to testify of God's demonstrated power. Look at verse 22. It says, the Lord God showed signs and wonders and great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and all his house before our eyes. And so listen, after their deliverance, God's people saw God's mighty hand at work. They saw signs, they saw wonders, they saw the plagues, they saw the Red Sea, they came through the, the Red Sea, they saw the manna from heaven, they saw the water from the rock 
And listen, as parents, we ought to be able to testify to our children, here, has what, here is what God has done since he's delivered us. Here's what God has done since he's delivered us. Man, where is the testimony of parents who have seen God and his wonders working in their life, in their marriage, in their finances, in their relationships, and in their ministry? Man, your kids ought to know that God's hand is real. It's not wax short. And that after the moment of salvation, God transforms your life and your daily walk with him sees a daily demonstration of his power. I'm not so sure that happens in most homes. But we'll come to church on Sunday. Man, I want my kids to know what God did on Monday and what God did on Tuesday, and what God did on Wednesday, and what God did on Thursday. And I want my kids to know that, hey, listen, when, when me and your mom started out, we had nothing. And we just trusted God. And man, there were some bumps along the road. And let me tell you about the bumps on the road. Let me tell you about how when we got married, man, dad lost his job the first year of our marriage. And how we had no money. And all of a sudden, checks started coming in the mail. Insurance rebates, you know, uh, you fill out, you buy something, and you send it off for the, gift, the Visa gift card, and it never came. And then, actually, the weeks right after Dad lost his job, stuff started showing up in the mail. It's like God just sprinkling crumbs from heaven so that we could survive. My kids need to know that God is faithful. My kids need to know that God is the one that brought us together. God, God is able, in your relationship, to bring you the right man or the right woman that you need to spend the rest of your life with. God is able to do that. And God's power is demonstrated after we come to Christ. And man, that testimony ought to be real to our parents. Man, what have you, I, witnessed in your life that can be a testimony of your children? What prayers have, has God answered that you can say, man, listen, son, daughter, listen, this is how we were praying, and this is how God miraculously answered. And maybe he didn't even answer the way you were praying. But man, he answered according to what you needed. Can you share with your children, man, this is the direction that God has given us through his word, and we stepped out on faith and just followed it. And it didn't make sense financially, and it didn't make sense in the world's wisdom, but man, God is faithful, and we know from the word of God this is what we're supposed to do. Do you have that testimony? Can you share that testimony with your children? If you're a biblical parent, you can. Number four, biblical parents can testify of the purpose of their salvation. Look at verse 23, and again, this is the dialogue from a parent down to a child. And this parent is telling his children, hey, listen, here's the answer. He brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. In other words, parents understand that, listen, God had a purpose in bringing us out of Egypt. God brought Israel out of Egypt, but that wasn't the point. God brought them out of Egypt to bring them into Canaan. He brought them out of Egypt to bring them into Canaan to establish a kingdom. You see, the point of their salvation, of Israel's salvation, wasn't deliverance of Egypt to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And the point of Israel's salvation wasn't to get to Canaan and then quit following God. The point of their salvation wasn't to get to Canaan and, and demonstrate partial obedience. The point was... God had a kingdom he was looking to establish, and they were an integral part of it. But it was God's kingdom. And can I just tell us today, listen, the, the same thing is true of our salvation. I had a good conversation right before church. Not every conversation before church is good, but this one was good. And somebody said, hey, man, I was reading a book this week, and I never really put this together, that our salvation is really not even about us. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good book. <laughs> and he told me the book, and I was like, yeah, for sure, that's a really good book. That our salvation is actually a part of the greater picture of Christ's kingdom glory. It's about Christ and his kingdom. It's not about me. Man, I'm just the recipient of grace. But man, man, I'm a small part in the bigger perspective of God's kingdom. My salvation is a part of God's kingdom. It has a purpose and a reason behind it. The emphasis is not me, and I know that's hard for Laodiceans to hear. The emphasis is Christ and his glory. And listen, the same is true of our salvation. But most Christians miss that point, and if we're not careful, our children will miss that point. 
because we miss that point. Colossians chapter 1 tells us, verses 12 and 13, that we're to give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us, he's called us out from the power of darkness, and he's translated us into your best life now. Everything that you want to get out of the life now, that God is somehow now your magic genie in the bottle to grant you all your wishes. That's not what it's about, is it? He's translated us into the kingdom, and it's not even our kingdom. It's the kingdom of his dear son. You see, the purpose of our salvation is to bring Christ glory. The purpose of our salvation is the theme of the Bible. It's Christ's kingdom glory. And a biblical parent can tell their children, hey, you know what? It ain't really about us. So if they change the coffee on Sunday morning, it ain't a big deal. And if they don't get, you know, Krispy Kreme this week, it ain't a big deal. And if they don't sing the songs that I like, it ain't a big deal. And if they don't do it the way I like, it ain't a big deal. It's about Christ's kingdom glory. But man, we struggle with that as Laodiceans because man, we still think it's about us. We still think it's about us. Man, it's not about you. You're welcome. I'm glad you came today. It's not, it's not about you. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Beard and all, broke mic and all. It's not about us. It's about Christ and his kingdom glory. And man, as parents, we ought, to, we ought to be able to demonstrate to our children that God brought us out to bring us in so that, so that he can keep his promises and his kingdom can be glorified amongst the nations. Okay, number five, and we're done, but man, I need you to, I need you to buckle up here. Biblical parents desire to do what God requires. Verse 24. So it says, the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes. Again, this is a parent talking to the child. This is the answer of a a kid that asked the question, man, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? The Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might present us alive as it is at this time. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. And And so, again, a biblical parent has no problem understanding that they need to do what God requires of them. And again, the parent is saying, listen, to the kid, we're we're going to do all these statutes. We're going to fear God because it's for our good. We're the actual beneficiaries of God's goodness through his word and through a right relationship with him. Let me just make this comment real quick, just so you can get it in your notes. I know know you can't get out of church without having the blanks filled in. but, But in the Old Testament... That last statement in verse 25 is an interesting verse because because the parent says, if we do these things, it will be our righteousness. And you just need to know in the Old Testament, righteousness was required by doing. That was the way it was accomplished. God gave them the Ten Commandments. God gave them the ceremonial law. The Old Testament, I don't even like using the word salvation because there is no new birth in the Old Testament. But the the way to be right with God in the Old Testament was doing what God said to do. And so you need to know that there was an Old Testament righteousness associated with keeping the law. There was a righteousness associated with that. But after Christ came, the righteousness now is in the person of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake, man, you can't unhitch from the Old Testament. Because for the Jews, for that physical nation with a physical kingdom... Righteousness was determined by obedience to God's word. Romans 10, verses 4 to 5, it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. So you got the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of the law. The man which doeth these things shall live by them. That's how you stayed right in the Old Testament. And no offense, man, there wasn't an Old Testament Jew in the book looking forward to the cross. That's nonsense. And whatever book you read that out of, you need to trash it, man. Those Jews in the Old Testament had the word of God given to them by Moses, and they were absolutely tasked to believe and do what God had given them. But man, listen, your righteousness in the New Testament, man, it's, it's just believing on the person of Jesus Christ. You're made right in God's eyes Your salvation is secure in the person of Christ. That's how you get God's righteousness imputed to you 
Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, being found in him, not having mine own righteousness. By the way, Paul was writing that. The most zealous of Jews, who in just a few verses earlier said, hey, listen, touching the righteousness that's in the law, I'm blameless. So if you want to talk about a dude that kept the law, it was Paul, Saul, who met Christ. And then he said, hey, listen, my righteousness wasn't sufficient, which is out of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And so now, man, Paul believed on Christ. And, and, and listen, you don't, you don't do to get saved in the New Testament. You don't do certain things to be right with God. You don't do certain things to be saved, to wash away your sin. Works-based salvation has no place in New Testament Christianity. But let me also say, we keep God's words because we are saved. Uh, we, we do what, re, what God requires because, because we are saved. And we have a relationship with God and we understand God. And man, there's this strong disagreement, man, from that statement in our culture of Christianity that, man, you know, faith alone and Christ alone. And I, I agree with that, man. Your, your faith in Christ alone is what saves you. But if that's all you do with the rest of your life is just believe the gospel and you don't read the rest of the New Testament, you've missed some things because there's some things we ought to be doing, like preaching the gospel, like making disciples, like planning churches, reaching the world for Christ's kingdom glory's sake, right? Okay, so 1 John 5, verses 1 to 3 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Do you believe that? Man, have you been saved? Do you know that Christ died for your sin, that he's the Son of God, that he's God in the flesh? If you believe that, well, then you're born again. Everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And by the way, his commandments aren't grievous. It's okay for you to have a biblical Christianity that's lived out with a biblical authority. Uh, I, I went to Revelation 19, and I, and I think we'll close here. But, but, but it is interesting because as the church, the bride of Christ, we are headed to a day where we're going to see Christ face to face. And when we see Christ face to face, man, there's going to be kind of an accounting. There's a judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. But after that, man, there's this, this wedding that God has prepared for us. Revelation chapter 19. Christ is going to receive his bride, the church, the body of Christ. And man, many of you understand this, this picture and this typology. A husband that's anticipating his wife and this wife that's preparing herself for her husband. God paints, paints that picture in our, in our physical life with marriage because it's a biblical truth. In Revelation 19, verses 6 and 8, when John writes about this experience, he says, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Hallelujah. Listen. And his wife hath made herself ready. You say, man, how do we make ourselves ready? Well, Christ saves us. He redeems us through his shed blood. But, man, there's a sanctification process that ought to be real in our life. Verse 8, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness, not of Christ. It's the righteousness of the, of the saints. And, man, God, God has given us a task. He's given us a great deliverance. But he's also given us things to do, man, to, to reach our children and to reach the world with the gospel and to make disciples and to plant churches. And listen, we need to be doing what God requires because these things are for our good and they're for our preservation, right? And so you got all your blanks this morning. Listen, God has perfectly positioned in the home this thing called a parent, and even if you're a single parent, let me just say, God has perfectly positioned a parent in a home 
to impact children for the glory of God's sake. Man, do you realize that? I know we've got some teens in this room. Teens, do you appreciate and value what God has put in your home as a parent? Because let me just tell you, man, the alternative is that you wouldn't be here on Sunday morning. And the alternative is that you have parents that actually hate God instead of love God. And that instead of leading you to Christ, lead you away from Christ, right? That, that, that's, that's something to consider. We need to value and appreciate that. And so as we wind this thing down, here's a few questions to consider, and I'm done, and then we'll go get lunch, okay? So listen, number one, parents, do you have a personal testimony? Do you know for sure that you are saved from your sin? And the way you know that is to, one, recognize that day and time in your life where you realized you were in bondage. And, man, somebody shared the gospel with you, that Christ died for your sin, that he's willing to take your punishment and penalty, and through faith in the blood of Christ, you could be forgiven. If you don't have that testimony, could you make that testimony today? Would you be humble enough to recognize I'm a sinner separated from God? Would you be humble enough to receive Christ the way you are right now, not to wait till your life is perfect, because it'll never be perfect enough? Do you have that testimony? The best thing you can do for your home and the best thing you can do for your eternal life is settle that issue of salvation today. And then secondly, if you have that testimony, are you ready to give an answer? Do you have a daily walk with God in the Word of God? Do you value His testimonies, His statutes, and His judgments? Are you willing to submit yourself to learn them? Another way I could ask that is, are you willing to submit yourself to be discipled? Are you willing to submit yourself to go through ministry tools and training? Are you willing to submit yourself to go through LFBI? Are you willing to submit yourself to the pastors and teachers at this local church? Do you have a testimony of God's power in your life? What can you share that God has done in your life since salvation? Like this week, what has God done? What can you give glory to God for, how he's demonstrated his power in your life? May your kids need to know that your walk with God is real. And you can't fake it, man. Kids can sniff out a fake. So can mature Christians. Have you established a pattern of doing what God requires of you? Because, man, our, our children are going to mimic what they see. I know this one hits close to home. But I think as parents, we need to take note, man. We, we need to be serious about our walk with God because it has an impact and influence in the next generation. If we're not careful, we'll just be like that. We'll be just like that generation that died in the wilderness, man. Delivered, wandering around, man, eating the free bread, getting the free water from the rock, murmuring and complaining, and then die with nothing of eternal consequence ever accomplished. Let's not have that testimony, right? Let's not have that testimony. So will you bow your heads with me? Father, we need you this morning, God. I pray 